0: It's time for another edition of Family Life Today, presented by Power to Change, known in America as Family Life. Welcome. We trust you'll find today's program interesting and hope it will be a great encouragement to you and your own family situation. So let's join our presenters, Dave and Ann Wilson.
1: I've uh, had fun over the years, 30 years of preaching, many, many weekends, whenever I'd like do the Ten Commandments, like maybe a series or something.
2: And you did quite a few sermons on the Ten Commandments. Yeah, and I think uh
1: it's sort of funny, uh 30 years, I bet I did this five to maybe ten different times every couple of years. It would be a fun exercise where I say, okay, we're going to go through the Ten Commandments today. I want everybody to stand up. So the whole church stands up. I go, I'm going to read them, starting with number one. And if you violated that command, sit down. <laughs> Let's see who's <laughs> left standing so I literally go to Exodus 20, and I read, commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. And maybe 5% of the room sits down. I mean, most of the room still standing. Which, which is like,
2: astounding. Yes. I'm
1: like, okay, they don't really know this. First uh, command. Anyway, I don't say anything. I'm like, okay, let's keep going. You shall not take my name in vain. Boom. Most of the room goes down. Like It's like everybody starts to <laughs> laughing, like, okay, we've got some people. But it's interesting. You get four or five. That are
2: still up by There's the There is
1: usually, most of the room is up into 7, 8. But
2: well, anyway, I bring that up because we're talking about the Ten Commandments today. And I feel like the Ten Commandments, as even Jen Wilkin, who's with us, has said, has bad PR. Yeah. And so, Jen, welcome to Family Life today. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Jen,
1: you've written a book called The Ten Words to Live By, uh, Delighting In and Doing What God Commands. Tell us what you do.
3: I um, teach the Bible, and I am an advocate for Bible literacy specifically. So Hmm. I am interested in helping believers know why they believe what they believe, grounded in the Word of God. Uh, And some of that is based on kind of the way that I came up in the church. I was in um, about seven different denominations growing up as a child. And um, Why is that? Well, my parents divorced when I was about eight years old. This is my story. Okay. okay. And my mom was a single mom in the church, and that's an awkward spot, yeah. you know, and so she was always kind of moving from one church to the next to see where she would fit.
2: Those seven churches, that kind of shaped this passion in you. Absolutely. What yeah. happened? How did it shape you?
3: Well, because uh, there was always someone standing behind a pulpit holding the same book, but mm. that person was not always saying the same thing. And in my uh, own family's story, uh, false teaching took root. Mm -hmm. So um, it mattered to me that I know firsthand what the Bible said And so I, as far as it was possible with me, decided that in the local church I was going to try my best to help give women tools, not just information So that they would know how to um, open the scriptures on their own and better be able to discern whether they were hearing good teaching, bad teaching, false teaching, true teaching.
1: Were you young and you just decided, I'm going to do this, and you've been doing it for decades? or?
3: Uh, it kind of crept up on me. Um, I actually got a business degree. I had an English degree and got an MBA because I didn't want to teach English because that was what most of the people in my family did, and I was like, that looks hard and <laughs> underappreciated. And then ended up staying home after I had my first child and was invited to women's Bible study at the church. And I was like, oh, I could put clothes on and go somewhere today. That sounds amazing. And then in that experience, uh, started to realize that Even what we were calling Bible study a lot of times in in the church was not really study. It was either heavily devotional or uh, it was topical, but it was not necessarily getting people into the Bible itself. And so then began to combine the literacy skills that I had learned and used as studying English to help bring the Bible to people as a book. And you've written a book called
2: Ten Words to Live By, and it's about the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. So what brought light into your mind? Yeah. Yeah, just take on
1: (laughs) (laughs) it. Totally
3: feeling. (laughs) Yeah. I had sort of entered into ministry, and I say ministry, I was a volunteer, you know, in my church, but but in the the gospel-centered movement, you know, and it was these churches that were um, beautifully focused on the good news of the gospel as it related to grace. And And so there was so much talk about, you know, and and no matter how many times you sin, God forgives. And the law actually just judges you. The law is what establishes your guilt before God. Uh, And so what had ended up, I think, being communicated in those places was grace, good, law, bad. But law proceeds from the heart of God. Just as grace does. But we, we had, and it was also that bifurcation that people tend to have between Old Testament God and New Testament God, right? Yeah, the
2: angry God and then right. you
3: have Jesus, the grace giving right. friend. So, law, Old Testament, grace, New Testament. Uh, except that that's just not what Jesus says, specifically in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but also throughout the rest of his ministry. He comes to fulfill the law. So then there's this. Language that we use in Christian circles all the time of, you know who I want to look like? I want to look like Christ. But if you want to look like Christ, then you would want to fulfill the law as Christ did. Christ is the perfect fulfillment of the law. And the confusion, I think, that came in is that there was an overemphasis in the gospel-centered world on justification and almost a complete forgetfulness about sanctification in the way that we were talking about things. Whereas in justification, the law condemns. It does. It is what establishes our guilt before God. In our sanctification, the law is actually the narrow path path that lies beneath our feet, we have positional holiness in Christ because he fulfills the law perfectly. Mm. But those who enjoy positional holiness will demonstrate practical holiness as a result. And it is God's good law that shows us how to live that life of holiness. Mm. Boom. Seriously. Gee whiz,
1: you're laying down some stuff. I mean, you mentioned early in the book, and it's right along what you're saying here is Christianity is not about rules. It's about relationship. Mm-hmm. I How many you, times have you heard that? Uh, I bet mm-hmm. you I've said it from the pulpit. Well, I've said at it times. as a parent.
2: <laughs> You've said it? I've said it as a parent. It's Josh McDowell yeah. said rules without relationship equals rebellion. Mm-hmm. But that rules part is in there and it's important. Mm-hmm. Well, That's
1: yeah, right. let's talk because you do such a good job of even this phrase, rules enable relationships. So yeah, absolutely. I'm not putting words in your mouth. Tell us what how we should understand this.
3: Well, so let's pretend for a second that on Monday morning, your local public school system is going to call you up and ask you to substitute in a kindergarten class in the district. They're not going to call me. Um, They need two subs, and so you have a choice between two classes. And the first class that they need a teacher in is Mrs. Smith's class. Mrs. Smith doesn't believe in rules. She just wants the kids to all know that they're loved and seen and cared for. And so the kids don't actually call her Mrs. Smith. They call her Susan. And so they spend their day you know, just... just really focusing on that relational component. So that's one class that you could sub in.
1: All right, I already already know. you
3: could sub in Mrs. Jones's (laughs) class. And Mrs. Jones, she has some things posted on the board, things like we will talk one at a time, we will keep our hands to ourselves, we will complete our work, things like that. Uh, Mrs. Jones is also a very nice person, um, but she does have classroom rules. Which class would you like to sub in?
1: No question. That's
3: right. Because what Mrs. Jones understands that Mrs. Smith does not is that rules are what facilitate relationship. Um, I would want a combination of the two. Yes, that's exactly right. You want them to live in tension with right. one another. The healthiest parents are not those who are high relationship, low rules, or high rules, low relationship. They're parents who are high rules, high relationship. In the, Obviously, we're talking about like the younger stages of parenting where it's so important for those good boundaries to be uh, established. And we we talk about having healthy boundaries all the time. And I think if we were better able to understand that what a boundary is, is a rule. It's a law that we put in place that's for the good, the well-being of a community. I think that's part of it, too. Why did God give us the law? Why did he give the law to Moses? Because we are not saved into just a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The gospel message has been God wants a relationship with you, the individual. Hmm. That's true. But he wants that relationship with you as an invitation, not just into relationship with him, but with the church, with others. That's why the great commandment is love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, because you have neighbors. Even when you look at the giving of the Ten Commandments, God is giving them to this newly formed nation so that they will know how to live at peace with one another.
1: Hmm. So when... Ann mentioned you said it has a bad PR problem. That is what?
3: All rules can do is crush us and make us feel guilty. That's Mm. what they do. Mm -hmm. And some would say, and that's why I don't
2: go to church. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. the rules have crushed me. I fail and I feel guilty.
3: Mm -hmm. You should feel guilty when you break the rules. You shouldn't stay there. And again, when you're thinking about obeying God's law, not to earn his favor, but because you already have it, that's when this all begins to shift. You know, you may not be a parent, but you have a parent. You can remember your own upbringing experience. And there were probably times in your relationship, with your parents where you did the right thing without being asked because you knew it would make that parent so happy not because you wanted to earn something but because you knew you were loved and accepted that is what obedience looks like in the life of the believer um, but it is not a blind unidentified obedience uh, the call to be holy as God is holy is repeated over and over again in the old testament and also in the new all of these christians today wandering around saying i just wish i knew god's will for my life 1st Thessalonians 4 this is the will of god for your life your sanctification And the law is what shows us how to be holy as he is holy.
2: And I would say, too, Dave and I were walking last night, even talking about interviewing you today and even going through the Ten Commandments. Every one of those given were out of God's love for us. He's protecting us and he knows what will fulfill us. And fulfilling us is what really is obedience. When we obey him, there's
3: a sense of, Yes, like Mm -hmm. this is what I was made to do. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: That's right. When we obey the law, we are most fully human because we were created to exist according to God's law. Mm -hmm. And we transgressed it. Now we look at what was meant for our good and we say, you know what's burdensome? That. But it's the path of safety and flourishing. Yeah.
1: And in some ways it's tragic to think, and I think I uh, I could be guilty of, of this as well, is once you come to Christ, it's almost New Testament theology, I don't need the law anymore. Mm-hmm. It's done. It's over. I just need to follow Christ. And it's just a lie, right?
3: Well, I mean, you look at the 54, depends on how you number them, 54, 59, one others of the New Testament, mm-hmm. and what all of those are, are expressions of the law and how they play out in our relationships with each other. Mm-hmm. So the law doesn't stop being talked about in the New Testament, um, but we understand the law's role in light of the cross. There are so many calls to obedience in the New Testament, you know, and that's another fascinating thing to me is how often, Mm. uh, particularly in the Pauline epistles, I think this is actually a Bible literacy issue, because the Pauline epistles are some of the shortest books of the Bible. We have a lot of people in the church who have spent an inordinate amount of time in the Pauline epistles in particular. And so they're getting that emphasis on grace that you see there from Paul without a balancing of some Mm. of the other ways that grace and law are talked about. Not only that, but there's been a heavy focus, I would argue, on the indicative section of those letters. This is who you are in Christ. This is who you are. This is who, this is who. But we all know you hit that turning point where um, Paul then says, and this is how you shall live. And all of that imperative portion of those New Testament epistles is in some form a reiteration of God's holy law.
1: So as you sat down to look at the Ten Commandments and uh, write this book, was there anything that struck you like, oh, I'm surprised?
3: Yeah, first, um, maybe this is not surprising. People don't know them. When I teach on this at conferences, I'll often say, okay, uh, I'm going to ask a volunteer to come up here and and recite the Ten Commandments in order. Now, of course, there's some great homeschool kids out there who are like, oh, I'm going to nail this. But (laughs) but most people feel that panic, that thinking dread, like, oh, I'm supposed to know them all? And certainly couldn't give them to you in order. And yet the order really matters. They're mm. given in a particular order for a particular reason. So I think the beauty of the order of the commandments is, is one of the things that really struck me, but also the timing of the giving of the commandments. God does not give them to Israel while they're still bound in Egypt because he, you know, Jesus says no one can serve two masters. So obviously when Israel is serving the law of Pharaoh, They cannot serve the law of God as they were created to do. So the law is not given until they have been delivered out of their slavery to the pharaohs and into the freedom that will now be bound in good ways by their new benevolent king. Mm. Wow. I don't think I've ever thought about they were given
2: in order for a reason. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's go to the first one.
1: Well, I mean, you go back to my little fun exercise. You go back to number one and, you know, Standing on the stage, looking out at a congregation, and you say, "Hey, if you violated this, sit down." I'm thinking the whole room the whole goes place, down. Yeah. In number one, <laughs> and I'll say that later. But in that moment, I'm not going to ruin it. But you, you know, as you as I read your first chapter or the chapter on law number one. Mm-hmm. Help us understand law number one. Yes. I don't think we understand it.
3: No, absolutely not. When well, we don't have the context for it, we think the Ten Commandments are only relevant insofar as they relate to us today. But mm. we can't possibly understand their significance unless we place them in their historical setting. And immediately before God says, uh, you will have no other gods before me, he reminds them of something critical. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Mm. He is pushing them to remember 50 days ago. He's saying, 50 days ago, you saw 10 plagues of death. Today, you're going to receive 10 words of life. Mm. That makes Uh, you emotional. Yes, it does. Why does it? I think because... Again, it's a vision of God high and lifted up. He's referencing back to the very thing that they will forget again and again and again. And he knows they will, right? He knows they will. Like over and over in the in the Old Testament is the call to remember. Do not forget. Remember. Do not forget. All the way through um, the end of uh, Deuteronomy, you hear it. And then, you know, you see them do exactly what he's told them not to do. And what are they going to forget? They are going to forget not just that they are to have no other gods before him they are going to forget what they learned in Egypt, and that is that there are no other gods. Mm -hmm. That first command is an invitation into reality. It is not simply a, hey, I'm a big deal and you need to pay attention to me. Um, He has demonstrated for them that there are no other gods, and now they have a choice. Will you live in that reality? That's the reality that that was presented to Adam and Eve in the garden, and it's presented once again to the children of Israel. You can be faithful. Um, You can walk forward in obedience as you You were born and designed to do. And so it starts with a reminder and then there's an invitation into reality. Mm -hmm. That means that anything you give worship to that is not me is not worthy of your worship.
1: Such as? Because, again, that's why I'm standing up there going, oh, you don't understand this.
3: Yeah, because. We would
1: fall on our feet.
3: Face. They, because people think, I say they, it's been me too. I can't (laughs) say, uh, there are probably a lot of years I would have stood there too. It's like, yeah, 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 I worship God. And really, this is where Israel's ongoing story becomes so instructive to us because Israel actually does not stop giving worship to God. They Mm -hmm. just stop giving worship to God. Alone. Oh, that's They big right start there. adding in these other things, and so God knows He's drawn them out of polytheistic Egypt, and now they're going into polytheistic Canaan. So He's saying to them, "You're different. You're set apart. You worship one God. Keep that in your head," which they they will not do. They'll say, "Well, I'm God, and you know, fill in the blank. It's we're gonna uh, worship Baal, or we're gonna worship Astaroth in addition to." And so the whole books of um, First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles these guys tearing down the high places that have been set up or, or building the high places back. And this is what we, we still do. We say, I need God and financial security. I need God and a face that never ages. I need God and happy children, you know, whatever it is. And it's those fill in the blanks. Anytime we add something to our worship of God, our worship of God is no longer pure. What is your temptation to add to
2: that you're worshiping something other than your You're worshiping Jen that. Wilkins. I mine, you thinking. want mine? Yes.
3: Because oh. I know
1: what Ann's is and she knows what mine is. Oh, don't yeah. Know you do is. know
3: what mine is? What, what oh, cares? It's Jen? my kids, 100%. I, I mean, I'll tell them, you know, we'll be sitting around talking about stuff that's going on in their lives and I'll go, hey, guys, here's the thing. I don't want you to have any difficulty or pain. So. Everybody good with that? And they all laugh, you know, but it's true. Like, yeah. I know, I know rationally, life is full of those things, and those things are what grow us. People listen to that and think, but that's
2: a good thing. Our kids mm-hmm. are so important. Mm-hmm. And I think that's mine, too. Mm-hmm. Because so I love anything?
3: them. I love them. I think it's just that you are worshiping a version of the good life that is dependent on your children being happy. And that is just not a guarantee. Mm. And as we have pointed out, it's not even good for our children. You know, they adversity is something that teaches us dependence on God, even though none of us invites it or asks for it. And it's saying, I don't want to walk by faith. I want to walk by sight. I want to look at a good thing and go, yes, the Lord is good to me in this thing that I can see instead of saying, nope. I can't see it, yeah. and, I'm, and I still believe the Lord is yeah. good. And how do you know
2: if your kids are in front of God or you're worshiping God, but they are right alongside of him? How do you know that? How does a woman know, like, ooh-ooh, they're in the wrong place?
3: And, um, I think you can tell by what you're worrying about. That's what I was going to say, Don't you too. think?
2: What you're thinking about. I ask mm-hmm. women sometimes, what do you worry about the most? What mm-hmm. continually goes
3: back and forth in your mind? And sometimes that's a good clue. Well, and, you know, it ties in with this discussion about the law, because when you think about the opening lines of Psalm 1, it says that the righteous man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. So when I start to think about what am I making meditation on, Yeah. Uh, usually that's where you can find the thing that's drawing your worship away. What's
1: yours, Dave? I was, you know, I was sitting there thinking, you know, I think for men, of course, I don't, you can't generalize. Everybody's different. But I would guess many men would say what I would say, and it's more success, money. I don't lay in bed and worry about my boys. I think Mm -hmm. adversity is good. I hope they have to go through something hard today, (laughs) (laughs) develop character to a point. But I do think about a bank account. I Mm -hmm. think about retirement. Mm -hmm. I think about bills. I think about how's the ministry business whatever you're doing which is so funny
2: because i'm like cat's got that he's Mm -hmm. fine with that but Mm -hmm. i can sit there and stay wide awake at three o'clock in the Mm -hmm. morning worrying about one of my kids Mm -hmm. and
1: so here's here's what i would ask is if we don't put something else in front of god and he really is he reigns first he is first we worship him alone Mm -hmm. does that mean no worry Oh, absolutely is just not. On him.
3: Well, and it also doesn't mean that you don't ever think about your kids or you think about work, right? But it means that your job or your family are ways to express your love for God or worship for God instead of a things that you love right next to God. I hate, honestly, when when in Christian circles we tell women, don't make your child an idol. You care too much about your kids. I'm like, well, thanks. That's super helpful. How am I going to care less about my children? right? Exactly. There is a way to feel all of that depth of emotion for your children that is honoring to the Lord. And that's what we want. We mm. we want to serve our families or our jobs or our communities or whatever our thing is that is our, quote, passion. That word we like to use so much. We want to do it as an expression of our love for God, but not as a terminus. It should be a mm. conduit.
2: I think it'd be interesting to even ask, what is the source of my joy and happiness right now in my mm-hmm. life? What am I thinking about mm-hmm. or worrying about more often than not? That'd be an interesting conversation. Yeah. What's your temptation mm-hmm. to put before God or what do you worry about or mull about? or yeah. Meditate on. Meditate he on says. the most. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: We want to thank David and Wilson and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication, and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as Power to Change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families, the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. We hope you've been encouraged by what you've heard and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at radio at powertochange.org.au. Our website is families.powertochange.org.au where you can check out articles and many other resources on marriage and family well-being. Until tomorrow at the same time, God's richest blessings on your family.